listening to KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. Support for KZYX comes from our members at Ukiah Natural Food Co-op, locally grown since 1976. The co-op is committed to healthy foods, sourcing organic, non-GMO food-based products whenever possible. Organic espresso and juice bar and the soup and salad bar are now open. More information, ukiahcoop.com. KZYX also streams live at kzyx.org. Today we're broadcasting broadcasting from the MCOE studio in Ukiah. Support for KZYX comes from our members and SPACE, the School of Performing Arts and Cultural Education in Ukiah. Summer camp signups are happening now for June and July sessions. Scholarships are available. For more details, spaceperformingarts.com. Um, Good morning, and welcome to Good Ancestors and Local Treasures with Corrine Pierce. Sintamana, Ana Pikabitamde, Ke Kasil, I am your host, Ke Shi Corrine Pierce. I am a local basket weaver, traditional artist, herbalist, dancer, storyteller, and cultural educator with ancestry from Lake and Mendocino County tribes. Um, before I um, thank you for joining me, I actually want to... Um, mentioned the song that was just playing that was the two-step and it was sung by my uh uncle and he actually uh, thomas brown he just celebrated a 50th wedding anniversary so i kind of want to um, do a quick shout out to him and he's also was on our show um thank you for joining me this morning the first monday of april Spring is definitely in the air, although it is a little gray here this morning, which I'm grateful for because we have a heat wave coming. 
As a basket weaver and a traditional gatherer, I can't help but be distracted by the amount of growing and blooming that is happening in our sacred and beautiful part of the world. I usually like to share a bit of local indigenous culture and language with everybody listening, and today is no different. I want to use my time this month to celebrate springtime and share my gratitude that everything can be new again. Language has power, and in the Southern Pomo language, the word for springtime is ama shwebi, which loosely translates into the earth becoming new. It is a very important time for the growth and gathering of late winter bloomers, uh, early spring greens, and early spring fruits. Traditionally, the native people throughout Mendocino, Lake, and Sonoma counties, and in fact, most of California, would have had some sort of first blossom, first fruit, or first harvest ceremony or festival. This festival is the time for a ceremonial blessing of the food or foods, giving offerings to the earth and ancestors as well as to the plants themselves, promptly followed by celebration, including dancing, singing, and feasting. Mmm, feasting. These ceremonies can be very quick and private, small intimate family gatherings. They can also be large, elaborate, and last for several days. I say traditionally, but thankfully, many of these festivals and ceremonies are still happening today. They happen locally, they happen all over California, and they are still happening all over Indian country. These ceremonies and festivals are usually associated with a time of restriction, a time for showing self-restraint and patience. It's also a time to show respect and reverence for relationships that have been created long ago. Many indigenous myths, including local Pomo creation stories, share the ancient origins of our family relationship to plants, animals, and places. These ceremonies often require participants to not eat one or several types of food for a certain amount of time. To this day, I try not to offer strawberries, or in some cases, any berries, to folks that I know are from these tribes and that follow restrictions around particular spring fruits. I always thought the food restrictions were just because uh, we're in California and our resources are so abundant. Classically, uh, when it comes to food restrictions, the richer you are in resources, the more strict the food restrictions actually become because it's kind of like showing off. You know, it's like you, we have so much abundance that you don't, ha you don't even get to eat berries because you are so rich, you know, so it's pretty, it's pretty cool like that. As it turns out, it wasn't that at all. It's, of course, indigenous genius at work once again. I will quote from a book about the Pomo of Lake Sonoma regarding the time of restriction associated with food. Quote, the nutritional value of such plants are highest just prior to and during their flowering, end quote. So it turns out that if you wait and follow the proper restrictions, the benefits that you actually get from the plant increase. That's pretty cool and very smart in my opinion. Unfortunately, there's only one way to practice patience. Uh, for a pomo basket weaver that plans years ahead, I think I am not a very patient person or I might just be not patient when it comes to snacks. Okay. So, social studies lesson over, we can move on to the two amazing guests joining me this morning. I am thrilled and honored to have them with me today. 
They're both culture bearers who are keeping sacred ancient traditions alive. And in my opinion, they are also two of the most contemporary transformative influences in California's indigenous community. They are incredible folks, and I am thrilled to talk with them today. My first guest will be Sarah. On Sarah, say your last name for me. Calvosa. Okay. Sarah Calvosa, and she is a member of the Karuk tribe of the Hoopa Valley. She's a wife and mother, as well as being a fabulous, inventive cook and a food writer with a soon-to-be-released book focused on traditional wild foods of California. My second guest this morning is the wonderful, multi-talented Eric Wilder, who's a Kashaya Pomo tribal member, an artist, a tradition keeper, a storyteller, and a community weaver. His art and stories are a source of inspiration for many people all over California and beyond. It is my pleasure and privilege to have you both here this morning, celebrating the first Monday of April with me. I can't wait to hear about your accomplishments and the projects you are working on right now. So, we are just going to jump right in with our first guest, Sarah. Please introduce yourself. Uh, let everyone know who you are and what you are up to. My name is Sarah. Hello, and I'm Karuk, and I'm from, I grew up in the uh, Hoopa Valley, and uh, the Karuk people are upriver uh, along the Klamath uh, near the Salmon River as well. And I am working, I will, I'm working on a cookbook. I do my work primarily in traditional foods and teaching other people how to use traditional foods in contemporary ways to help us reclaim these foods into our kitchens in an everyday way. And yeah, so I'm currently doing the edits for this cookbook right now. It is yet untitled but hopefully a lot will be happening in the next couple of months when it comes to this book and, and how it all comes together. So it's kind of, it's an exciting time. Plus it's the springtime, which is just my, one of my favorite times. I guess I love every season because as soon as we get into the season, I'm like, I love this season. This is my favorite one, but I really do love the spring and all of those ecological markers just popping up around us for us to see and, and take the measure of the season and, and just kind of see what's going on. It's almost like this really colorful barometer for how we're doing climate-wise and ecologically. And I, I really love this time of year because it feels like I can kind of get the lay of the land for this, for this coming year. That is so cool. So I have, I have lots of questions for you, actually, now that you're talking about stuff. Um, so one of um, my main questions, is, oh, I just want to talk about your book a little bit. So I was very honored to read some parts of your book. And I'm not kidding, I was crying. Um, and for me, traditional food is, is in your bones. You know, it's, it's literally what our ancestors are made of. It's what, and then we, we turn back into the earth. So, you know, it's, it's so deep and, and you're talking about the food and I'm, I grew up, I don't remember a time where we weren't harvesting seaweed, acorns, surfish, manzanita berries, you know, whatever it was. Um, but I realized that that's not the reality for a lot of indigenous people. Um, and I am wondering how you 
came into native food? Well, it is, so I, I grew up, um, you know, pretty close to our traditional lands and doing some traditional food gathering and, and eating. Uh, but it wasn't really until I realized that how much I wanted to connect my children to being Karuk because we, they are growing up in the Bay Area. It's a completely different environment. And I wanted to connect them. And as I've been a food writer for a long time, so my first thought was storytelling. And I happened upon this little story about acorn maidens. And then I, it, it led me to thinking about showing them how to gather acorns and how to process the acorns. And, and then that sort of led to what our responsibility was as far as, as being stewards. I know what our responsibility was to the place where we're living right now, which is Hoiman uh, Coast Miwok land. And, uh, you know, and it just sort of, I realized what a holistic cycle this was that because then once you start learning about being outside and stewardship and it kind of leads you into basket weaving and tools and then you know uh land management and you know just all of these things sort of I realized you could not really pull one piece of it out and just learn that one thing and so it sort of became this snowball effect and in you know in a way to keep my children connected and I was like wow that's kind of the genius of, of indigenous life ways is that it is all connected you know art science language uh storytelling food everything is connected so I started really just to get my young sons at that time you know connected to the to being Karuk and what it meant and so I, I mean I feel like yes it means all of these things but you can also start in one place and it will set it will you'll find it snowballing so that is really cool. So I um, I don't know you. You are actually not super local. Um, but during COVID, our world expanded and we got to see indigenous people from other areas that we didn't always get to see if we couldn't travel. So I work a lot with the California Indian Museum and Cultural Center in Sonoma County. And during uh, COVID, I know they were reaching out to community members by doing Zoom classes. And I do a lot of Zoom. I do a lot of Zoom classes for them. I do a lot of in-person classes for them now. And um, they started working with you doing these amazing cooking demonstrations. And I know we did um, acorn crepes. And I was like, okay, this is crazy. And then we also did the peppernut. Um, I don't remember what you called it. Um, it was like, like a, a peppernut coffee yeah. or hot cocoa type of yeah thing. I, did it, I did it like a hot cocoa and that was really amazing and um after I heard about you in that way I googled you because that's what everyone does and I I got to see that you wrote regular columns for news from native California um do you have a favorite column that you've written for them hmm I think one of my, I, I love them all. I really loved being at the uh, summer camp with the Amamutsun kids and walking with them and, and, and doing, you know, hikes and, and watching them in real time learning in this way. And this really like engaging outdoor experience. And uh, so I really loved that. 
that particular part. I also always love going home to Hoopa, my very first interview, and one of my most, in, like, it's one of the most inspiring people to me, Megan Baldy in Hoopa, and interviewing her and her daughter because of the work that they're doing raising pork on the reservation up there, and um, just this, like, legitimate acorn-fed pork, you know, and, and all of the food work that she does with there, the community garden, the farmer's market, and just learning about all of that has been, I, I feel like I love every single one of them. <laughs> so every chance that I get to go and meet other people doing food work in the community, you know, so it gives you energy and, and inspiration. So really enjoyed yeah i'm glad you um mentioned megan i'm gonna try and get her on the show i think what she she also is working in food security and food sovereignty and she's just like i mean she stepped right out of the 1930s with her mad skills and just like i i always joke also about pork uh, being fed acorns because there's there's actually uh in Italy, they they import acorns to feed to pigs, and their pork is more expensive than everyone else's. So the more acorns you eat, I think price per pound, you're just, you know, superior quality. <laughs> so I like to apply that to myself also. Um, so I know you said you don't have a name for your book, but I know that you had talked about um, the, and I had read in there that the the cookbook is backwards because and you make these amazing recipes and i actually wrote some recipes down that you had shared online and i'm just going to read them um and blow people's minds this morning and make them extremely hungry so some of the recipes that sarah has shared online is maple cheesecake with pine nut and acorn crust buttermilk chocolate acorn tea bread uh, acorn baguettes so ramps, which are wild onions, ramp pesto with spring greens. And then this one, which makes me want to run right out and get food, is acorn flour tamales with spicy bison filling. And these are like beyond me because I'm, I'm not a super great cook. I make a lot of traditional food, but it's so just, you know, normal for me, like mush, soup, get a little fancy i'll eat the skin off the top you know put some seaweed and but um that is amazing so share with us how you got your mad cooking skills and how you get your inspirations for like you know and i always say one cup replacing white flour is always healthier so like i'm always encouraging people to swap out this for that or you know local bay leaves for store-bought bay leaves or you know whatever it is to incorporate natural food wild food into your into your diet every day so tell us where you get your skills for cooking and how you just go for it and incorporate this stuff i grew up cooking and uh, i also have italian family and my grandpa was an amazing cook and that was one of the first times that I really saw food translated into community and family love and it just really spoke to me and I have always been interested in in cooking and just cooking at home and when I had my own children I was thrilled to be hosting family gatherings and making their own food for them and choosing their first foods and just having that 
opportunity to grow my own skills uh, all throughout their lives. And one of the things that really the reason that I just started developing these other recipes was because they were like, well, mom, you know, we're teenagers. I don't want to eat acorn mush every single day. What else can we do with these acorns? And I was like, well, that's fair. And, uh, you know, uh, so I started developing recipes and incorporating acorn flour and incorporating these these foods that are just around us. We're surrounded by bay trees and uh, we have just a lot of wild food and wild abundance. It's clear that the land here still retains a great love for people and you can see it and it's like, um, you know, you could see how it's been tended and, and how lush and abundant it is here. So really just spending time out in our area and then branching out and taking them back home for basket weaver gatherings. And, and so we just really, I would say it became a way of a, a personal challenge just for our family, for us to be using something traditional in every single meal. So, um, and now it's one of those things we don't even really have to think about because I've got this full pantry behind me that's full of things that have been preserved and gathered. And so now it's more like, how can I, what am I going to make today? Having this kind of arsenal of recipes. And then in thinking about the book, the recipe development aspect of that was just about a lot of experimenting and eating a lot of different kinds of pancakes. <laughs> so it was it, it was really just sort of an organic and naturally guided process. So, yeah. That's really awesome. And I think it's really great that after your classes, I would see people's social media and they're making, you know, acorn flour pancakes and they're, um, you know, even just putting pine nuts. And, and I, I loved the, um, the segment that you did that you actually can find on YouTube for the California court coalition and you you basically you talked about what you can add to your morning food like you had a buffet of these amazing power nutrient native foods and and you just added it in I was like oh my gosh why why didn't I think of that you know of course that's the way that you would eat and it's so awesome uh, I think what you're doing is is really amazing and I I want to give you props and and think you know, it's hard to step out and it's hard, especially to step out of the normal confines of tradition. So to step out and be like, you know what, I want to ensure that my kids are getting this. It's pretty amazing. It's, it's hard work. It's heavy work. Um, your, your burden basket must be very strong. Um, I, I also want you to talk a little bit about, um, how the cookbook for you is backwards because I can see you like we're doing this through zoom and she has this beautiful kitchen behind her these metal shelves stacked with jars and jars of traditional food that's not the reality for for most people because um you have to go out like that's probably seasons and seasons of of keeping and storing um so I think that it's important in that in that book when people get it and everybody listening I'm sure will rush out and be on the waiting list um but that that you do address that that it is it's a privilege to go out and have these in just even a little bit of them so I I love how much you incorporate and I also love how you um didn't only incorporate native foods 
you were like, these are the native foods. And also, here are wild foods that are right outside that you brought with you. <laughs> Europeans, <laughs> Middle Easterners, you know, this, you brought yeah. these with you. You need to eat these too, you know, they, and that's one way to remove invasives is you eat them. So um, can you, can you talk about why it wasn't, why you felt it was important to add that this is a reverse cookbook? Yeah, because it is one of those things where you may not pick this book up and be able to just kind of run out and make a, a dinner, you know, on a Tuesday night for your family and that it does require some advanced I mean, like I said, it, you're kind of hopping into a cycle. So this is a cycle that's happening and you're hopping in and you may not be able to do everything right away, but you, once you hop in and start to access these rhythms all around you and you begin to gather and it can start with one little thing. And then, you know, after you have gathered, once you have kind of understand what your role is, even in gathering because it's not, I would not encourage necessarily people to just to walk out their front door and start gathering. There's, you know, amount of preparation. So when, wherever you hop into the cycle, you may not be able to immediately start making all of these things. But once you have gone through all of the trouble of understanding who, you know, whose land you're on and, and understanding the processes and the cycles and the rhythms of these foods and are able to gather in a good way and preserve them, then I want to be ready after you've done all of this work, I want to be ready with some really fun and compelling recipes that will hopefully your family will hold on to and and can and hopefully build on. I really just hope that this is because I'm not a chef, I'm just a home cook, that hopefully people will build on this and be feel excited about creating their own cookbooks and we'll just have shelves full of amazing indigenous cookbooks and that's that's what I hope for so it is kind of not exactly the most practical cookbook model that you can't exactly just run to the store but I do offer a lot of options for people that are wanting to test it out because you may not feel ready to be you know harvesting quail or gathering quails yourself or purchasing quails in a store but you may want to try out this recipe with chicken first and then once you see that it works and you like it and it's delicious it's something that you can go back to when you are ready to do that or when you do have access to those foods because not everybody does so i do try to offer as many um options as possible for starting you know in a in an accessible place Yay. Um, all right. I'm going to try my best. <laughs> uh, Yotwa. Um, so I always like to share language and I, um, I am a Northern Pomo language learner. I'm also a, a Eastern Pomo language learner because I have from there. So, but I always try to share language. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you so much um, for being my guest today. Uh, you're listening to KZYX, Philo, 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah, 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You are joining me, Corrine Pierce, your host for Good Ancestors and Local Treasures, and we just got done talking to Sarah. And we are um, moving on with our next guest. Yeah, we, Eric, thank you for being here. I'm so happy to have you today. I had tried to have you in October, and that 
that did not happen due to an emergency. So I am especially grateful that you are well and looking beautiful and here today. Uh, welcome, Era. Uh, welcome, Eric Sintamana. In my Ariwa, Amadue. Ori Ama, Shiwe Yi beat me. Eric Wilder, E Kishichima, Kashaya Poma no Patol Bakaya. Winama Bakayachma no Patol Bakaya. I said, How are you all today, um, this morning? And a happy newness of the land time. That's what we call spring. Um, my name is Eric Wilder. Um, I am uh, Kashaya Pomo. Uh, I come from the Kashaya Pomo people. Uh, I come from the people from the top of the land. Um, uh, everyone will know my people as Kashaya Pomo, which is uh, on the coast near Stewart's Point. Um, I'm a grandson of uh, Essie Parrish. She was my grandmother. She was our spiritual leader and doctor. Um, what, uh, what I'll usually say is that I was taught by her and my grandparents and, you know, my grandfather, Sydney, and my parents and aunts and uncles, um, when I was, since I was little, I was given my sacred name, Cobbin, which means rock man. And that's the person that keeps the rhythm during the feather dance songs, um, uh, and I'm named after my great uncle on my dad's side. Um, but what I learned, what I wanted to do, um, I had a lot of respect for my grandfather. So what I always wanted to do with my life was I wanted to become a, a, a singer like my grandfather. And um, and what I found out growing up uh, was that um, I was kind of really one of the only ones that was sh showed that kind of interest in wanting to learn um about our people's ways and so they were teaching me uh, they began teaching me all about gathering um, and so i would gather tan oak acorns which is what we have growing in our territory um, mostly uh, and i learned how about gathering huckleberries and blackberries and salmon berries and thimbleberries and hazelnuts pepper nuts and wild teas seaweed clover and then, you know, all the fishing and things like that, too. Um, but uh, but they also taught me about um, sacred sites, um, places that were taboo that we don't go to. Uh, they taught me about where our villages used to be uh, in our territory, so which ones were permanent villages, which ones were um, seasonal villages. Um, and they showed me gathering areas. They showed me places where our historical events had taken place. Um, they spent a lot of time teaching me a language and genealogy, and um, and then uh, and then I became a feather dancer, uh, and then um, a big head dancer, which was like a really big honor. Um, from my grandmother and then at some point I ended up being the fire tender for our roundhouse which is our spiritual building and then I would even um, I would even then lead the opening prayers uh, at the beginning of our roundhouse ceremonies which was I didn't realize it at the time which was like a really big honor to be able to do that to call the spirit you know um, 
but as a wanting to be a singer um, my grandfather uh, who's is from point arena como and uh, and he told me all about singing singing the different types of songs he taught me he taught me how he had gone through his ceremony to become a singer and how he received his songs at the river um, these four black cormorant birds called him down and laid him in the river and then they said the songs would come down the water and he'd pick out his songs and so the water flowed over him and he said and the songs came in the water and he talked about that and said it was like the most beautiful things he gets songs he'd ever heard and he picked out the ones he wanted and they stayed with him and you know those kind of things is what i learned and then when my grandmother passed away in 78 she um she decided that she wasn't gonna leave our roundhouse open and she wasn't gonna leave the dancing and so um you know my dream of wanting that's all i wanted to do i wanted to to learn how to do all these things. My grandfather taught me how to uh, make regalia and, and do all of that too. And, um, and I was kind of like lost. I didn't, you know, I was like, that's, well, I'm not going to be able to be a singer now. We're not even going to have a roundhouse anymore, you know? And, and uh, what my aunt had said was that my grandmother said that, well, you were not, no, there was nobody worthy to, to have it, to have the dancing, the singing. And I thought all this time that I thought, you know, for years I was like, why did I do, I did something wrong, you know? And uh, was I not faithful enough? And and that was like 15 at the time. And it took me until I was 27 years old to ask my aunt, I said, what, what was it that I did wrong? And um, she said, you didn't do anything wrong. She said, mom saw in her dream that um that you you were gonna die she said you she you know all of these things you know this she said all of those dancer regalia they're all made out of living things animals and plants and and they all have a spirit and so they all have to be danced four times a year and she said and because she was going to pass away a lot of the family was going to feel like there was nothing left because the spiritual leader was gone you know and so they weren't going to support that she said and so when you don't dance those things then they become a sickness in the owner which you would have been she said and she saw you die she said and so that's why she didn't leave it she said to save your life um i i felt relieved that i didn't do something wrong but you know i i miss it um and so uh i i had uh like since seven you know i, I had it my other passion was drawing and so i just threw myself into that and um and i actually had won a scholarship in my senior year to go to the art institute in new mexico and right before that my dad got sick uh paralyzed from his work at his work and then i i called the university i said i can't my family can't they can't pay for anything right now and i need i gotta can work for the summer can i come off uh, can i put off coming for a semester and uh and help them get settled and they said no if you don't come you lose your scholarship and so i said well give it to somebody else then because i can't leave my family like this and so i quit drawing i would just do a t-shirt once in a while or something and then uh 
And then one day in 91, when my daughter was born, I, I talked to this guy in a comic book store and I don't know what that conversation just brought that passion for art out in me. And then, um, and then I ended up doing art for his store. Um, and I got hired by a video game company. And then, uh, and then, uh, I ended up learning how to become, I, I did animation. I wasn't, you know, I did illustration. I did concept art. I learned how to do character designing. I did level designing. And then I was even the voice actor. I did storyboards. Uh, I did, I was tech and a texture artist. And, and then I even went on to do uh, software as testing software. Um, and then I left that to go work for my tribe and, uh, and I used, found out that I ended up uh, using all of the traditional knowledge that I had learned and the art that I had, art techniques that I had learned to help do language preservation for my tribe, um, using visuals and things. And, and, uh, and then, so then I, uh, my sister asked me, she goes, why don't you do uh, greeting cards? And I'm like, what? <laughs> who'd want to buy my art, you know? I'm like, I, I, I did it for myself. I didn't think any of my art was that good, you know? And she said, oh, people would love it. So I did it and people loved it, you know? And, <clears throat> and I talk about, <clears throat> excuse me, about the artist from the seventies. And I, I had seen and heard things. They had gone through a lot of um, criticism being contemporary artists from their own people because they you know they were using visuals of dancers and people were like using ceremonial images and uh and you're selling our people out and you know but i found uh i wasn't you know i was told that too by one guy and and i, I was like that's not why i'm doing this and then and then and then I, that was at a at a show that i was vending at and then um it, it made me kind of depressed and I walked around and I saw this elder lady talking to her grandkids and she had my card with the dancer on it and she was talking about when she was a girl and when she used to was at the roundhouse and stuff and and saying stuff in her language to them teaching them you know teaching them about their history and stuff and I'm like that's what I intended right there and um, I think that's what these other artists that had been had come along in the late 60s early 70s you know contemporary artists they had to go through that but that was their intention it wasn't so that they were selling out their tribe it was like to preserve who we are and that's um i felt like okay, well you know I, i'm gonna keep doing that to open the door for the rest of the artists that are going to be coming up too you know that's kind of how i felt and then um that's another way for our people to stay alive you know and um, and then this guy ended up coming back buying a bunch of my cards at the end of the show, which was kind of cool. So then I uh, I started a graphic design company, you know, doing logos and tattoos and business identities and flyers and brochures and business cards. And then I do a line of greeting cards. And I, I did a clock for my mom who was teaching language at the reservation and had our numbers in with written our language numbers. And... Um, to teach the numbers you know with using clocks to tell time and stuff and then i you know and also do stickers and prints and um and then i used to go listen to my uncle and my mom and aunt and then go give lectures and then we, we went to the presidio one time and then my uncle said 
I would, they wanted me to sit on the stage with them, and I did. And then he said, well, we want you to talk. And I'm like, what? You know, I don't, I wasn't that kind of a person to talk. You know, I was always really shy. And they said, no, we want you to talk. And so I did, talking about our people. And, um, and then later on, my aunt would, I said, she goes, you were nervous. I go, yeah, I'm, uh, she goes, she goes, why do you, uh, why were you nervous? She goes, you're the, you're the expert on our people. These people don't know us, she said. Um, so you don't need to be shy. You don't need to be nervous. She goes, you know who you are. We taught you, she said. And I'm like, never thought of it like that. And, um, and so uh, I felt comfortable talking after that. So I did, uh, I've done a lot of lectures at universities and high schools and elementaries and things, teaching about all of our traditional culture and stuff, you know. Um, and then I ended up also working for Great Rancheria and their environmental education. And I was proud of the work I did there. I actually won an award from the Environmental Protection Agency in, um, in uh, Washington, DC for the work I did um, and recognized by the head environmental person for the state of California for the work that I did too. So I was very proud of that. And it, uh, and then I also worked to do cultural resources um, and teach cultural resources to some of the other tribes uh, doing uh, stewardship and, and, and identifying um, sites and things to look for in sites, you know, to help protect those things. Um, and then I'd also do, uh, I'm a historical event teller, which is, you know, it's, uh, I used to call it storytelling, but my uncle one day, he goes, I hate that. I hate storytelling. I hate that word. He goes, it makes it sound like our, the things we talk about our past are their stories. They're like, they're, they're just made up. He said, those are historical events. Those really happen. So. So that's what I call it. I, I sometimes say historic uh, storyteller, but I, I like to call it a historical event teller, you know. Um, so anyway, that's kind of quickly what I've done. <laughs> I love that historical events teller. Um, I, I actually have been listening to a webinar series about uh, native ways of knowledge. And that's something that they bring up and they, she's like, I'm listening to this genius, this doctor, this PhD talk, multiple PhD talk about um, the fact that these are story, you know, these are not just stories. These are our real handed down historical events. And she was getting crazy because she was like, um, she was talking about the Dewey Decimal System and where things are put in the library and that if they want to put indigenous creation stories into myths and fables, that's where Bibles should also be. Or they need to create, you know, they have other places to put these. And I love that you are saying that because I, I love the stories you tell. Like, I am a storyteller. I grew up listening to stories. And uh, in my adult life, it's like you are, you're not that much older than me. You are a total inspiration for a lot of what I do. And and um, feeling brave enough to tell stories is a huge thing. Feeling, because uh, these are like, and it's funny because you're talking about getting kicked back, 
you know, as an artist and the artist that came before you. And it's like that. I think that in everything we do, it's like that in art. It's like that in sharing food traditions. It's like that in basketry. It's like that, you know, just everywhere that we go because change is scary. But I, I also like to think like when I go to Berkeley and I, I see, or, you know, when I, I see these things that my ancestors, my aunts, great aunts left for us that actually help us retain who we are. I think that's what you guys are doing. Like, I know that you have the next generations in mind. And I know, like, I'm better at counting because of your clock. You know, and and I remember just seeing your stuff and I would always think, oh my gosh, thank God you started selling cards because when I would see your art, I'd be like, oh my gosh, I hope somebody gets me this card. And every time I get one of your cards for Christmas or birthdays, it goes into a box and every Christmas, all of those cards come up, whether they came from this year or not. Like it's a wall of your art. Um, another thing, like I'm just bragging on you right now, but um, I was awarded a fellowship, the Loose Indigenous Knowledge Fellowship, and we had to like, we were supposed to describe how what we does impacts. And I was very emotional. It was a crazy time. It was literally the month that COVID started and I could not speak because I was bawling my eyes out like a baby because everyone in the room was also bawling their eyes out like a baby. And you have this art that you made that's a twine basket, which I blows my mind that people can draw baskets so accurately in the first place and, and not weave them a lot. But you had like every strand was something you know, um, connection to land, sovereignty. And I was like, this, this is it. It's just amazing the work that you do. And I know that you um, did a tile project that's going to be seen by yeah. thousands of people. And that's um, in a still made to be bathroom, right? Yeah, that's going to be up in um, Mendocino. Uh, uh, it was a project they did with the Mendocino Art Center and um, through Mendo Parks with the state parks there. So that was, was that the first time that you worked on tile also? I know was Bonnie and me. I was asked by um, Bonnie uh, Lockhart and uh, she asked uh, Mio Marufo from Robinson Rancheria to, to uh, if we would be a part of that project. And I said, I will only on one condition. I said, this is your people's territory. Um, I know you look at me as, you know, you look up to me and you've always said that I said, but, you know, out of respect for your people, you know, you're from here, you're the, you're the spokesperson. And I had to tell her exactly what I was told. You're the expert on your people. Um, it's not my place to talk for your people. That's a, always been a disrespectful thing is what I was taught to talk for somebody else is people, you know? So, um, so she was very happy to take the lead on that project. And, uh, and, you know, and it was a, uh, at first, when we first met, I was like, oh, man, I, uh, I don't know. I was kind of disappointed in it at first. I said, because I'm like, well, we're doing this whole project, which is cool. We're going to talk, you know, we're going to be able to show imagery on our history and stuff. And but I said, but it, where is it going to go in the bathroom? You know, it's going to be tiled in the bathroom. I go, when do we get to be in the gallery? You know, when do we get to be in like where everybody else gets to show their work? And um 
you know, and they tried to say like, well, a lot of there, thousands of people will go see it, you know, they have to go see it. And I'm like, well, it's kind of a backhanded compliment, but then we looked at it as well. We're in the place where the artists in the seventies are, you know, um, they're making an effort to include us now, you know, and this is our opportunity to open the door for the artists to come in the future for our people, you know, and then, so they ended up through that offering, uh, a place in their show in their gallery we're going to have a show there in may um and uh in the main gallery we're going to have three rooms so i think between the three of us we have enough work to fill that place and and we're looking forward to doing that so we said i'll sit oh so the door is opening and and i'm i can't wait to see what other artists are going to be able to do coming up you know uh, i hope that will be an inspiration for them you know yeah, I I just want to say that you are totally an inspiration, and I know that because I know uh, I I am a big pusher of arts, as you are. Um, I was just recently um, named uh, art champion of Mendocino by the Mendocino County Board of Directors. Saw that. Congratulations! On and. So were you. You are the president of the board of directors um, for the Gualala Art Center, and they were also named art champions for 2021 by Mendocino County Board. So congratulations to you. Um, I I want to say that like I was just recently um, elected and approved to be on the board of the Ukiah, um, Art Center Ukiah. So we are in the place where native art has always been the best we are the best basket makers we are great regalia makers. you know we get we have mad skills and it is amazing and about time that we are being represented as contemporary human beings that are still contributing majorly to the arts in our area and beyond so i think what you're doing is amazing and another thing i want to tell you is i see like I work with uh, kids from South Valley. I work with kids all over the place and I see the art that they're making and I see your influence on them. I see the permission that you gave them. And I know that they aren't getting half the poop that you got when you were their age about, you know, sh displaying things that some people feel shouldn't be seen. But the problem is, is that when it's not seen, then even our own people don't get to see it. Yeah. Um, and Lori said, Lori Leowa said something, um, or Lori Thomas now, <laughs> said something last time. It's like, if we don't, you know, if we don't teach this to our kids, if we don't show it, then we are going to have Pomo kids wearing war bonnets in Ukiah. I mean, that's what she said. And I was like, that, I'm with you about, about representation. Um, so there are a couple more things that you have that you're doing. So you do the Native Arts Expo. Yeah, that's uh, one of the things when I moved back here um, from San Rafael, which I lived there for, I was gone for about 20 years. I moved back here. The first thing I did was I went to the art center and met with the director there and said, you know, if it wasn't for a scholarship you guys gave me, I, I probably wouldn't have been able to attend uh, the center as a junior college and and learn about graphic design. And, um and so I said, I want to be able to thank you in some way in giving back. And so I would help uh, volunteer and stuff there. And um, and then eventually they asked me to be on the board of directors. And um, and now this year is my second 
term as the president of the Walla Arts Center, and they they uh, they've uh, backed me in in bringing the Native Art Expo, and the Native Art Expo is a, a it's a show that I do to bring Native artists from all kind of art fields and. And you don't have to be professional. If you're just starting out, I want you to come. You know, I want you to meet other Native artists to see what they do. And some make living a living at it or partial living at it. But you know, and they not only do art Native uh, work. Some of them are are um, you know they 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 sing blues. They you know they um, they uh, do computer graphics that you know I, I like to do uh, fantasy and science fiction art too but i don't get a chance to show that and you know i've always wanted to be a comic book artist and i never did do that that was one of you know but i did get to do a comic eventually but you know i i try to bring in culinary artists basketry uh, jewelry makers poets um you name it, you know, there's so, I want to do entertainment people, you know, everything. Uh, and, and the first reason was to have the younger generation see the talent. Cause that was the one thing my grandmother would always say is that within you is your, your grandparents and your ancestors too. And you all have a talent and it's your responsibility to bring that out, especially for our children to see otherwise they'll grow up like the wild weeds and they'll be lost along the way and so that's one of the things that keeps me going so yeah it's going to be in october 22nd this year and then you both of you are invited to come you know I, you guys have some great talents i would like to have people see you know um and then also i'm working on doing a storytelling thing this friday uh for the middletown art center uh It'll be a, uh, from six to eight, uh, be with three others doing storytelling. So um, I think you can go to the Middletown Art Center website. Um, and I'm looking forward to doing that. And then I'm going to be at the Northern Circle Indian Housing Thir Authority's first big time. That'll be April 22nd, 23rd in Ukiah. So, um, it'll, you know, this will be one of the first times I get to go out and do vending again, and I'll have all my artwork there. So, yeah, it's been it's been very weird um, during COVID. <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't sell a lot of baskets, but I I make a lot of cradles. So usually I'll that's where I will see people, and I only ever display stuff because <laughs> baskets are hard to make. And um, but that whole year, and you know, that's kind of one of the reasons I didn't make a lot of baskets, but I I made a lot of material. You know, I kept a lot of materials for teaching men weaving, but it was weird, and I'm so glad. I'm just so glad to be able to see artists showing and so glad to see all the work that they've been making, which I think has been amazing. Um, so we are almost out of time. We have a couple of minutes. But before we go, I want to thank you both so much for being a good ancestors and local treasures. You guys both inspire me um, more than you know, and you inspire our community more than you know, I think. Um, so before we go, I'm going to start some music but i want to ask you two a question because we kind of talked about food and we both we all talked about acorns so i want to know i'll say first my favorite acorn and acorn mush is made from black oaks and i could say lots of reasons why it's very mild it's super fatty it takes the least amount of leaching time has the most amount of meat f per size 
Its downside is that, that it does have that red skin that must be removed and you can't be lazy about it. So I want to know what is your favorite and why? That's a tough one. And I should say tan oak because historically or, you know, culturally, that is such an important acorn for us, but they take so long to leach. And I think that I would have to say my favorite is the uh, white oak and the Oregon white oak, Gary Oak, mm -hmm. because my best friend uh, that lives in Hoopa has one in her yard that was planted by her uncle a long, long time ago. And it was raining acorns one year while I was there and I was so excited. And she was like, what do you mean? What are you gonna do with these acorns? And I was like, let me tell you. And that was one of the, also one of the reasons that I decided to write this book was for her and, you know, to show her how, you know, just to reconnect her. So I think it has a special place in my heart from the acorns from that specific tree. Nice. That makes sense. Yeah. White oak yeah. is actually on my list, but I had heard um, there are some Northern myths about not eating the white oak because deer can't leach acorns and you leave it for mm -hmm. them to eat. So, and we don't have a lot down here. So what about you, Eric? Um, I, you know, I like all kinds of acorns, like, um, but um, I would have to say tan oak just because that's what grows uh, in our territory. And, um, you know, that's, that's the, uh, that's the acorn that's uh, taking care of my people for thousands of years in that area. So, you know, I have to, on that, I'd have to say that that was most special for me. Thank you so much. Again, Yahweh, thank you both Please. for being here. Very and cool. I uh, can't wait to see you two in person soon. Thank you yeah. so much. Thank you. Yo, thank you. All right, I'm going to leave everybody with a hummingbird song from the Ohlone people, and I hope that you enjoy it. This has been a production of KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM, Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. You can check out our website at kzyx.org to find more content like this, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thanks for listening.